You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Good morning, Covenant Hope. If you have a Bible, grab it and turn to Genesis Chapter 1, guest, my name is Cody, I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly and love to do so. Uh, we're going to continue our series that we started last week through the book of Genesis, which we have titled God's Story of Creation to Restoration. And if you are a guest today, we normally walk through books of the Bible together because we want to know what God has to say, not what I have to say. We, what we do here is we, when we call this preaching, it means that we believe the Bible has something to say. And so every time we hear God's word, we're called to respond to it. We're called to submit our lives to it. And together we now may respond by hearing God's word. And remember last week, I asked you to, to engage and to hear. Don't let this just be a one-sided conversation. But let's hear what God is saying and engage in God's word together. Some of you know Ashley, my wife, uh, likes art. Uh, she did all the, all the art classes uh, in school, uh, and she wanted to go to a museum and show me the art exhibits, and it took her about uh, a year or so to get me to go to the museum. I'm not really a museum person. I don't, I don't really uh, kind of enjoy that, but I did show her Space Jam on our third date, so you can kind of tell what I really enjoy. Uh, and so she, she worked Oh man, we went and enjoyed our time. We had uh, a good time at the museum. But well, as we're walking around and we're seeing the art, right, different kinds of art, there's some questions that come into our minds, right? What's the point of art? What's the, what's the point of, of having a beautiful painting or a sculpture? What's the point of art? Well, there are a couple of things that come to mind. It's for the artist to share something with their audience. It's, it's a way for the, the artist to show something beautiful, to share something with the audience that's going to get to see it. And it's a way for the audience to get to know the artist themselves. We might ask the question, what is Genesis 1 about? Genesis 1 and the first few verses of chapter 2 is about knowing God, knowing His Word, and then trusting that Word. If this is the God who created all things, may we trust Him in any circumstance, in any problem, in any good thing that comes in our lives. This is the God that we can know. This is the God that has revealed Himself out of nothing. And has called you, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, now into a relationship with Him. And now the Bible opens to us so that you can know that God. So as we walk through these verses this morning, here's what I want you to see. God creates, then forms, and fills the earth with His powerful Word and judges it to be good. You see the themes there. God's word, his judgment of goodness on the earth. And so if you're a disciple this morning, if you call the name of Jesus, what should you do? What should you know? 
God is the creative king who completes his kingdom with life and rest through his powerful word. When God steps back from his creation, it is full of life, complete rest. And God does this through his word. And so what we see today is that God's word brings life. And if we jump into the story, remember we jumped into the story last week. Remember that God is the main character of the Bible. He's the main character of the biblical story. Right? He's involved. He's the, he's the creator, but he's also intimately involved in this story. And we're going to start back in verse 2 because it actually is the key to understanding the rest of the chapter. It will help us frame the passage as we walk through it. And like a master painter, God will get his canvas ready on the first three days. And on the, set, on the second three days, he's going he's gonna to paint. And he's going to, he's going to fill it with all living things. And finally, God's going to set that canvas up and he's going to step back. And he's going to say, what a wonderful, wonderful, very good creation that I have made. Now, you may have questions as we come to Genesis chapter 1. You may have questions about creation and science. But let me be very clear. We cannot force our questions into the biblical narrative. We cannot force our questions on the passage. We can be pointed in certain directions. But we cannot force our questions to be answered here. But we must not twist the story to fit a 21st century narrative. So come to the Bible, see who God is, and let's respond. Now, remember the problem from last week. Remember the problem. If we, if we think back to verse 2, what was the problem? The earth was formless and empty. What's God going to do? But we, but we ended in verse 2. God's Spirit was hovering over the waters. What will God do? We're going to see that God takes three actions to complete his kingdom with life and rest through his powerful word. And so I want to show you these three actions that God takes to transform his creation and to bring life. And it helps us have a framework this morning that God is going to first form his creation, then he's going to fill his creation, and he's going to finalize it. So, your first action that God takes this morning God forms. The world. Look there at verse 3. Then God said, let there be light. This is light outside of the sun, moon, and stars. It seems most likely from the way the story is written, this light is from God himself. He is the source of light. And what happens? And there was light. Notice the effect of God speaking. It comes into existence. When God speaks, things happen. Right? Moses introduces us to an all-powerful God who only needs to speak for creation to come into existence. But not only did God create with his word, he judges with his word as well. Look at verse 4. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Notice here God speaks, and what God does, he now begins to separate these things. Separating is a key aspect of God's creative power and authority. And secondly, he is calling. He is naming what he creates, which means he owns it. 
He's the one in charge. Moses continues, there was an evening and there was morning one day. Now let's stop on that word day for just a moment. It's a source of much debate in our Christian circles and our time and place. Did God create the world in seven literal days or were these days somehow eons of time? Maybe a question that you have. And I'm not really going to give you a good answer because it literally could be both in the Bible. We see both of these this word, day, to be used in both scenarios. But what is clear is that God makes the world, creates the world. And so it is possible. The Bible is not concerned with naturalistic evolution, but with revelation of God. Or the age of, of the earth is not a first-tier issue. It makes no difference with, in the gospel. We can have our thoughts. Your pastors have thoughts about this. We may even disagree on some of those. I think these are six, seven literal days. But they don't have to be. And when I get to heaven and I ask Moses, it's going to be a great time. And he's going to get to explain all that he knew here. But we don't have to know. It doesn't change here what God is doing. God is speaking and God is creating. So this shouldn't cause tension. Remember, we have Christian liberty here. We're not totally sure. And that's okay. But Moses continues. He says in verse 6, Then God said, Let the expanse be between the waters and separating the water from the water. We know that God spreads out the sky. We, the psalmist tells us that He opens the expanse. And we'll see in just a moment, even the sky and even that, those inhabitants in the sky, they will serve God. They are his instruments. They are not competing against him. Remember, Israel is coming out of Egypt in a pagan culture. And that these creatures in the sky or the stars or the moon or the sun, these were gods that they thought would contend for them and would rule over them. And Moses says, no. Verse 7, so God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse sky. God names these things. They are not in control of anything. Evening came, and then the morning, the second day. We now move to the third day, and we're going to see that God does two creative acts on this third day, and it's going to complement the first two days. And it's going to provide clear boundaries for the earth. Look there at verse 9. Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the water he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Verse 11, then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And it was so. It was a beautiful, lush place. And the land now is given a role that it holds or it produces vegetation. It holds the food necessary for life. But I want you to know something important. God creates the vegetation and it produces according to its kinds. This once again reflects the creative order with intention and design by God. Although this may not be a scientific statement, it is a design and order statement. This is one of the reasons why I'm not convinced by evolution. God made things that produce according to their kinds. It does not change. 
God's designs for creation to produce according to its kind, not something new. But I also want you to know, we can do true science because God has made an ordered world. Science is not an enemy to God, and it's not an enemy to the Bible. The rise of the science in the Middle Ages was because there were scientists who believed in a grand creator God who was involved in his world, and they wanted to know how the world worked. Because if that God is an ordered God, then we can see how God has made the world. That's how science came to be. And so we should not be scared of it. But we also should not force our questions into either category. Now Moses continues in verse 12, The earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants, according to their kinds, and the trees bearing fruit with seed according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning, the third day. I want you to notice God finished forming his world. He said it four different times that it was good. That the world was good. There is goodness in what God makes. God does not misjudge his creation. It is good. And although we live in a broken world because of sin, which we'll see in a few weeks, we live in a good world that has been affected by that sin. And oftentimes when we think about the world, we think about it being evil and we try to separate ourselves from it. But no, God has made a good world. God has made a good world. We must not make a distinction between the spiritual and the physical. We know that all things, when they are renewed, will be brought together at the new heavens and the new earth. And we will reign with God in that new heavens and new earth. We don't try to escape this world. We don't try to escape this world. The gospel serves as God's restoration plan for you and all of creation. So we must understand that what God makes is good. And that God will not leave his creation to be broken. But in Christ, he will renew all things. And so now, we see that God has formed and fashioned his world. It is ready to sustain life. And the earth may be good, but it's not complete yet. God will now creatively bring life into the world. Which brings us to our second action that God does this morning. God fills the world and assigns responsibility. God fills the world and assigns responsibility. Look there at verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. God will now place physical lights in the sky, in the universe. They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and for years. The text is already assuming, it's already anticipating that there will be life, human life. And this is what they're they're there for. There will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide lights on the earth. And it was so. And God made the two greater lights. The greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night. As well as the stars. And God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide the light on the earth to rule the day and the night. And to separate light from the darkness. Notice there are three functions of these lights. Number one, so they could, that night could be distinguished from day. Number two, so that calendaring could happen, season, gardening could happen, and three, to provide light on the earth. Now, look at how Moses goes out of his way to do something. He goes out of his way to demythalize, make up a word, demythalize this text. 
Right? If, you don't, if you don't know, he doesn't use the words or the actual names for the sun, moon, and stars here. Why does he do that? Well, because they, as they leave Egypt, those names represent the pagan gods. And, God, and Moses doesn't use those names. Right? He's, instead, he says, this is the greater light. This is the lesser light. They serve God. And in reality... They not only serve God, but their function is to serve you. Light on the earth. They are not gods. They are not to be worshipped. They do not control our fate in any way, shape, or form. God is in full control. Even in the stars that we see, even the meteors that pass by our, our planet, even the sun, the scientists tell us that, that, that it can't go on forever. It can't burn forever. God is in full control of the timeline and all things. And if God is in control of all that stuff out there, how much more in control is He in your life? Because God loves you and God cares for you. And look what He says about it again at the end of verse 18. And God saw that it was good. Evening came and then morning, the fourth day. As God begins to fill his world, it's still judged as good. Look at verse 20 now. Then God said, let the waters swarm with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the large sea creatures. Remember, anything that you'd be afraid of in the sea would be those large sea creatures. And God says, nope, I'm in control of those things too. And every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kinds. He also created every winged creature according to its kinds. And God saw that it was good. Even God, what God had made these animals, they are, they are good. But God doesn't stop there. He, he continues into something different now. Look at verse 22. It's not just good. God blessed them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters of the sea, and let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came and then morning the fifth day. Not only is God's creation of fish and birds good, He also blesses them. And this is the first blessing we see in all of the Bible. It's the first blessing we see in this creation account. And God fills His world. He now blesses them. But understand this blessing isn't just a wish. It's not just a prayer. When God blesses something or someone, He endows them with the ability to accomplish that blessing be fruitful and multiply god gives the ability god has called them to a responsibility to multiply and now they can do it these animals now have a responsibility and they must multiply and they must do it because god has asked them to he has blessed them and they do it in such a way that it is good that it's good they please god now the story moves into more of a climactic situation. Look at verse 24. Then God said, Let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl, and the wildlife on the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. So God makes more animals. This time for the land. And again, he sees it and judges it to be good. But there's something missing here. There's no blessing. 
What's going on? It's almost like we're waiting for something. Look at verse 26. Then God said something different. Let us make man, that's humankind, in our image according to our likeness. The culmination of God's good kingdom is his image in humanity. And he says, they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. The story has been leading us to this moment. The culmination of God's creation is humanity, both male and female, his created order. And now God makes something totally different than he has in any other day. This creature will be made in God's image and likeness. Meaning that we are infused with a soul. And we are tasked with reflecting that is imaging God across the whole world. Now don't get, don't get this mixed up. Remember, who is the main character of the Bible? God is. And so God makes humanity. And God will not just fill the world with life. He will not just fill the world with people. He will fill the world with his image. What does that mean? People who have a soul, people who have life and breath, they're able to, they have the ability to know God relationally. They have an ability to love God. We are God's children. And so God is able to love us, but we are also able to love him. And maybe, most importantly, we're able to worship Him. We're able to ascribe Him glory that He deserves. But there's only one problem. If you were an Israelite, if you were fleeing Egypt, if you were walking in the desert at this point, and you heard God say, let us make man in our image, it would have been heresy to their ears. Why? Because the only king, only king, would put His image in His kingdom. And who would that be in their minds? It would be Pharaoh. That's what Pharaoh did. When when a new Pharaoh came into town, he took down the old statues of the old Pharaoh and he put new ones up. This is my image and my likeness. I am God. And this is Israel's background. And God says, no, 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 no. Egypt is not the kingdom. I'm in a beautiful world, a good world. And this is my kingdom. And I'm going to put my likeness on the planet. God is not Pharaoh. He's an all-good, all-powerful, all-loving God who desires the best for His creation. Not slavery or oppression or subjection. He wants goodness for His people. So what's best? What's best? Well, what does God want? Adam and Eve are to rule over the world as God's king priests. Or they're to have dominion and stewardship over all of God's world. But why would this be good for the world if we have dominion and stewardship of it? Because humanity is to rule in the same way that God would. With goodness and graciousness so that the worship of God could spread all across the world. Not so that there could be more people. But so that God's image is spread all across the world and the worship of God continues to grow. This is why God made man in his image. And humanity can do this because they have access to God. 
They can go to him directly. They are loved and dearly cherished. And so not only can we spread God's image, we can then relate to God and show the whole world, the whole universe, that our God loves us and he is the glorious God who should be praised. So how does this happen? How does this increase? How does the likeness and image of God spread across the world? Well, it spreads through childbearing. He tells humanity to reproduce, to have children. Right? And then even in that way, we reflect God. Right? God makes humanity, and we now get to partake in bearing children to produce more worshipers who love and enjoy God forever. Look at verse 28. He says, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Now, we're going to come back in a couple weeks, and we're going to talk about what all that means. We're going to talk about marriage, and we're going to talk about gender, and we're going to talk about what does it mean to reflect God in these ways. We don't have time for that today. But what you should understand is that ruling and reproducing are tied together. God wants the number of people to grow so that, so that worship grows all across the world. Think about how great a responsibility this is. To rule over God's creation in a good and gracious way, and we have the ability to produce people like us, to produce people who can worship or people who decide not to. God wants more worship to take place. That's a huge task. That's a huge task. But remember, blessing comes with the ability to obey. As we walk through Genesis, we're going to talk about blessing. Blessing is for those who obey God. And there are curses for those who don't obey God. But when God blesses, he gives the ability. So look at verse 29. God also said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth. And every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you. I'm like, where's the the steak at? I I don't know. Um, but I trust you, Lord. Verse 30, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having breath of life in it, I have given the green plant for food. And it was so. So God blesses, and he calls us to responsibility, but he also provides for his people. God said, I've given you everything you need. I've given you everything that you need to make this happen. God's blessing means that he will also be with his people forever. You need nothing but my protection and my provision. And in verse 31, God saw all that he had made. He steps back and he views in these six days, everything is good. And it's not just good. He says, it is very good indeed. It's splendid. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. Evening came and then morning. The sixth day. Now think with me for just a moment. What brought this beautiful, wonderful creation into existence? God's word. Ten times. God's word. This this means that God's word is good for us. It means that it brings life to us. The question is, Will we trust it? Will we trust it? Think about Israel one one more time. 
And we don't know exactly when Moses wrote these words down, but they're either leaving Egypt or they've left Egypt and they're in the desert or they're crossing the Red Sea, whatever's going on. Are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust me? After 10 plagues, after 10 strikes, after providing for you manna in the wilderness, are you going to trust me? Will they trust God's word? And the same question is now posed to us. Will we trust God's word? Do we believe that it's good for us? Or do we believe it's some kind of rule, rules for us? Or do we believe that it gives life to us? And I don't just ask what you believe intellectually. Do you believe it enough to seek after God daily in His Word? Because church, let me be very clear. I've said it to you before. You have a world that's trying to form you. Everything we do, everything you watch, everything you partake in is trying to form you. The question is, are you going to trust God's Word enough to say, I want this more than anything else? Do you believe God's word gives life? Do you believe God's word gives life? Let me take it another step. We know that Jesus is God's word. Hebrews 1 tells us that God spoke to, to, the, to, the, to the fathers by the prophets in many different ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. John 1, 1 tells us that in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the Word. And even the Word that He uses to create all things. The question for us today is, will we trust Jesus, the Word? It's been shown to us that what God does is good. And what he, when He says it, it brings life. Jesus is the one that brings life now into a broken world. And He's the only one that brings life into a broken world. So will we trust Him? Will we submit to Him? God has formed and filled His world with life. But now He's going to finalize it, which brings us to our third action that God takes. God finalizes the world and provides rest and flourishing. God finalizes the world and provides rest and flourishing. Look there at verse 1 of chapter 2. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. This is a summary of God's action. God has created his new universe, his new world, his new animals, his new image bearers. There's nothing left to create. Like a well-commanded army, the universe and the world and his people are exactly how they should be. Continuing verse 2. And on the seventh day, remember the completion, right? Seven is the number of completion. Remember that. So it's, it's, it's good and it's complete. Stressing back to verse 1 that everything was completed. On the seventh day, God had completed His work that He had done. And He rested on the seventh day from His work that He had done. So now God rests. But not because He was tired. God doesn't get tired. All right, this is the word uh, rest. is what we get the word Sabbath from. You, you know the Ten Commandments. Keep the Sabbath day holy. But it's better understood as God ceased. God stopped. 
He did no more work. There was no more creating, no more making, no more fashioning. God steps back and looks around at his creation and he enjoys it. He thinks that it is good. It's a time for celebration. It's a time for wonder. But why? Why does God cease? Because in God's creation, there is peace. Everything is the way it ought to be. There's peace, harmony, and communion. All things are right. Have you had any moments like that? Where you just sit back and think, gosh, this is the way it's supposed to be. I don't know about you, I, don't, I haven't had many of those, but the kind of moments those generally happen are when I'm at home with my family and Ashley and our boys and we just are laughing around the table. And Graham's asking for more brownies, like his father. But it's just a good time. Or I can remember when we brought Connor home and we brought Graham downstairs and we just got to be together. This is the way it should be. Or the times in which many of you are over in our homes, like our missional community on Wednesday nights, and kids are running around, and they're eating, and they're enjoying themselves, and we're talking, and we're hanging out. This is the way it should be. All the worries of the world are real, but we are together. And maybe, maybe one of the most, the most wonderful things, the things that this is the way it ought to be, is when I'm standing here in front of you almost every Sunday, and I hear you singing with your whole heart and your whole voice. And we're praising God. This is the way it ought to be. This is how the world should be. We worship God together. We proclaim God's goodness together. This is why every Sunday we come to hear the word, sing the word, to pray the word. We, we center our lives around Jesus in the same way the creation was centered around him. We preach the Bible. Remember, God's word is powerful. So every week when you come and hear God's word, it bounces off of you. And when you receive it and you submit your lives to it, it's like a pinball machine. When I receive God's word, now it's going to come back out. That's what it does. And so every week when you hear the word, it's going to bounce off of you. It's going to reverberate off of you if you receive it and submit your life to it. Why? So that we can be grown and equipped to do what God has asked. This is the way things ought to be. And even in verse 2, there's an expectation. There's an expectation of where God's going. The world is complete. It's restful. It's true. It's harmonious. There's a celebration. But this is only found for us after God restores all things. We live on this side of the fall. And so it's not only an expectation, there's also a pattern. Look at verse 3. God blessed the seventh day, declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. So now God rested, he ceased from his work of creating, he blessed the seventh day. Remember, he declares it. He said it to be, to be good, to be holy. This means that God set apart the seventh day. It's different than all the other six. He made it different than the others. Now, now, now understand, look, look there at verse 3. This wasn't for God. This wasn't for him. This was for us. 
He's already ceased. He's already celebrated. But this is for his people, for his image bearers. We have a pattern now that we get to pattern our lives after God, that we get to work six days and rest and cease from our work and celebrate. To Sabbath is to cease to rest in God's world, created by God's word. But we know that God's world was fractured by sin. And so we know that God is recreating that world through his word, Jesus. And is recreating us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 that anyone who is in Christ is now a new creation. So now the word, God in the flesh, is not only creating, he's recreating. And if you've accepted Christ, you're now new in him. Praise God. The word of God, Jesus, creates the world. And the word of God, Jesus, will redeem the world. And in Jesus, God will bring us to final rest. But I don't want us to miss this. If there's a pattern to follow, if there's an expectation that one day everything will be at peace, how do we participate in that now? Is there a way to participate in that now? I think so. How do we enjoy God's rest in Christ? Because we have spiritual rest. But how do we experience that now, today? Well, number one, we have to understand that the Sabbath rest is not a reward for hard work. It's not a reward for hard work. Often we should be working from our rest, not just resting from our work. Notice, humanity's first day wasn't work. It was rest. We're to understand that we're limited. You have limits. If no one's told you, you have limits. And you can't get everything done. There is no way. But we are driven by a productivity world, right? You, you get on social media, you get, you get on the internet, five tips to be more productive. Seven tips to change your home to be more productive. Seven tips to be more productive at work. Seven tips to be the most productive mother in the home, right? We can just Google it, and I'm sure I just made all those up, and I'm sure they're out there, right? You need to be more productive. But you are limited. You're finite. And God gave us a pattern. We aren't God. Mothers, caring for your children in the home, it is busy. It's long and it's hard, but it's worth it. But your, your task will never be done. And when it is done, that's a sad day. But you're not God, and so you will not get it all done. In your jobs, you will not get all the work done. There's always more work to do. There's more code to be written. More students to be taught. More patience to be seen. It will never stop until God comes back and He makes the whole universe rest again. Understand that Sabbath should not push us to, to be more productive, but it should push us to the presence of God. Resting once a week isn't for re relaxation and entertainment, but for you to know God and to know His Word through His Bible, through Christ and His creation. That's, that's, what, re that's what rest ceasing is. It's not to binge on Netflix or TikTok or whatever people do these days. It's not for those things. 
And now look, the world has tried to have a counterfeit copy of this. It's called the weekend. It's called the weekend. That's the world's attempt at Sabbath. With five days of work, feeding two days of worshiping myself, leaving me empty and hollow. Scripture is a one day of worshiping God, feeding six days of work, full, productive, resting in God's way. A full week, seven days, complete, the way God meant it to be. Now I want to bring you back to Israel. They've, as I said, maybe been just brought out of Israel, or sorry, Egypt. Maybe they've been walking in the desert. Maybe, maybe God's been providing that manna already for them and they haven't been able to work on that Sabbath day. Maybe. But they've most definitely been brought out of Egypt. God as the artist. Who is God? Can we trust Him? Out of the darkness of Egypt, God has rescued His people and made them into a new people. And now they can rest and know Him and enjoy Him. But you have the same offer this morning. You have the same offer. Our God is the creative King who completes His kingdom with life and rest to His powerful Word. If you're not a believer today, you have the same offer. To cease from your striving to be righteous and holy and to receive the holiness of Jesus and to be at rest forever, for all of eternity. God's word brings life. Jesus brings life. Now, if you're a Christian today, my prayer for you is that you rest in Jesus and in God. That you don't walk away with more things you have to do but a God who you can know and who you can enjoy. The reason that I broke this outline out the way I did is because I wanted you to focus on God and not yourself. Because if we continue to focus on ourselves, we will miss exactly what God wants for us. God's word brings life. Will you continue to strive or will you rest in his word? Pray with me. God in heaven, I ask that we would know you, that we would trust your word, that we would be molded and shaped by it, that our church family would be a family that enjoys you, that enjoys your creation, but are also now called on mission to go and to help you restore the world. That the gospel speaks into every aspect of our lives. God, would you help us understand And would you help us know and would you help us trust so that we can rest? I pray that your word resounds greatly today. And would it reverberate off of us? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.